Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. We are on week three of our Reset series, and just before we jump in, I just want to say thank you to your pastors for letting us be here. We just met about three weeks ago and um, sat down and just talking about what Rivers Church and about Reset, and I just love leaders that can put the sail up and listen to the Holy Spirit and just shift and go with what the Holy Spirit's doing and just say, hey, let's let's do it. Let's jump in. Let's partner together. And so I just really appreciate you guys and your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Um, so for the first week, we talked about hearing God's voice. And if you were here that Sunday, um, you know that the freedom experience really is centered on hearing God. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we have to hear God's voice. And I gave you the recipe for walking in freedom, which is, Hear, believe, confess, and obey. And that's how we live in freedom. And then last week, uh, Pastor Tyrone talked about change from the inside out. And he, he shared how we tend to want to change the outside stuff. So our behaviors. We want to change the way that we think. We want to get rid of the anxiety. And so we try to do things like environmental change. Like let's up and move to another city or find a new spouse or find a new set of friends. But then wherever we go, there we are, because change happens from the inside out. And so I want to pick up from there today and really talk about, go a little bit deeper into that. What's that mean? If change happens on the inside, then what's going on on the inside of us? And so we're going to talk at the beginning here about the concept of body, soul, and spirit. There's probably many of you in this room that have heard that concept before. There's different kind of theories on it, but I want to explain it to you as best I can. And that's really going to be kind of like a frame that I'm going to put around this message. And then as we start moving through the message, the second half, I want to fill in, like paint in that picture and go back to the Garden of Eden, which you can see that we are in right now. So we're going to go back to the Garden of Eden, but we're going to, we're going to go with the lens of looking at what happened during the fall through the lens of body, soul, and spirit, and changing from the inside out. And what's that have to do with hearing God's voice and walking in freedom? All right, so let's start in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul writes, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So right there we see in Scripture that there are three parts of us. There's body, there's soul, and there's spirit. So we are a singular person that has three parts. I love this book by Watchman Nee. He's one of my all-time favorite people. I just got an amen from Pastor Tyrone. But this book, it actually wasn't written by him. It was um, a group of people that heard him give a lecture, a series of lectures in 1948. And they took what he spoke and they put it into this book. And Jeff and I, several years ago, we were at a used bookstore and I, I just looked down and I saw the last name Nee and I was familiar with him. 
So I picked this book up, and it's yellow and tattered. But I opened it up, and one of the first things that I saw at the beginning was this graph that I know is in your notes, and then it'll also be on the screen. But it was about body, soul, and spirit. And as I started reading the first chapter, it was like the spirit in me just started coming alive, like dig deeper into this because it connects to this freedom journey that you teach about. And so he just kind of uses this graph and this way of explaining body, soul, spirit that I think makes a complex topic a lot more simple. And so the way that Watchman Nee describes it is he describes it as we have an inner man, which the Bible talks about. Paul prays it will be renewed in our inner man. But our inner man is our spirit. And then he says our outer man is our soul. And we'll talk more about what the soul is in a minute. And then our outermost man is our body. And so he, he shares it kind of like those Russian dolls. You remember where there's like a doll inside a bigger doll inside a bigger doll. And that's how he says it. He says it, it, it's kind of like our spirit is wearing a soul and our soul is wearing a body. Like there's layers to us. Not that I have a little tiny person in here. That's my spirit. But it's just a concept. And so he uses these three circles that helps describe this. And then he, he shares how God wants to work from the inside out and Satan from the outside in. And so I want to start by talking about the body, and then we'll talk about spirit, and then we'll talk about that middle layer of the soul, which is where it gets pretty complex. So our body, or our outermost man, this is probably the easiest for us to understand because we all have a body, and we, the body's visible, um, the, the body is how we interact with the natural world around us through our five senses. We all, we're all familiar with that. We don't have to be a believer in Jesus to understand the body or the natural world. But our body is also mortal. It's the part of us that dies and that returns to dust because it's natural. Throughout Scripture, the Bible refers to our body as some kind of a container. So in one spot... Uh, Paul refers to our body as a jar. He says we're jars of clay. We have this treasure that's inside of us. Jesus himself, he talks about the house being swept clean. And I won't go into the whole story with that, but he's saying that we're a house, that we're housing something. And then Paul talks about us being a temple or a tent. And he says we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the idea is that we're a house and that we're housing something. And what we're housing is our soul and our spirit. So many times together in Scripture, these two words, are, they aren't said, but they're phrased together as the heart. So we hear scriptures like out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. Our mouth is part of the body, right? But it's speaking what's going on inside of our heart. There's another scripture that says, guard your heart above all else for everything you do flows from it. So everything that my body does, my mouth says, it's flowing from what's happening inside of my heart. Now, our soul and our spirit unlike the body, they're invisible, so they can't be seen. They're immortal, so they're the part of us that are going to live forever. What happens when we die is it's kind of like a hand slipping out of a glove. Our soul and our spirit slip out of our body. Our body's laying there on the bed if we're dying in a hospital bed, and our soul and our spirit separate from our body and go into eternity to either live with Christ forever or to live apart from Christ. And if you've ever been with someone when they're dying, you can feel that. It's like they take that last breath, that their spirit, their spirit leaves, and there their earthly body stays because it's natural, and then the immortal part of them slips into eternity. So we have the body, we have the heart or the soul and spirit, but then we need to separate 
what is soul and what is spirit? And this is the part that gets pretty tricky. So Hebrews 4.12 is very helpful with this. It says, the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. What scripture is telling us is that the only thing that can cut between soul and spirit is the word of God. You guys ever play that game Operation when you're a kid? Remember that game? It's got like the like mostly naked guy, you know, and a rubber ball for a nose, and you have the little scalpel. And no matter what, there's no way you could ever get through one game without that little scalpel hitting that metal thing, like, you know, scaring the life out of you. But that's kind of what I'm hearing here in Scripture. It's, it's, the Bible is telling us it's very, very hard to cut between soul and spirit. It's very difficult to do. If you try to do it without the Word of God, it's going to be, you know, you just can't do it. It takes the word of God to cut between the two. And so that's what we want to do is we want to look at scripture to understand the difference between soul and spirit. So we've got the body. I want to move all the way to the inside and talk about our spirit, our inner man, the core of who we are. This is the place where God dwells. When we accept Christ as Savior, we become one with him in spirit. 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him. And spirit. So Christ comes and he joins our spirit. Our spirit is dead until we accept Christ as Savior, and then we become born again. Now, even as I say that, there's part of me that it's just hard to believe that, isn't it? We accept Christ as Savior, and he becomes one with us in spirit, and he lives inside of me. Every one of us that are born again in this room, the spirit of Christ is living on the inside of us. That's what we're housing it's incredible, but it's true. And then the Bible also says this is the part of us that just knows. We talked a little bit about this week one, just deep in our spirit. We just, we just know. Job 32.8 says, but it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty that gives them understanding. Our spirit is also where we communicate with God. We get, when we're born again, we get spiritual eyes and ears. We can understand spiritual realities. We can hear God's voice. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13 says, we have received, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. So this is where we understand spiritual realities. Have you ever tried to explain something spiritual to somebody who's not born again? It's like the lights are on, but nobody's home. I've done this before. I, you know, I get so excited about something that God has told me, or there's been a breakthrough, or I've seen a miracle, and so I think, okay, I'm just going to share this with somebody that I work with who doesn't know God. This is back when I was a teacher. I'm going to share this with a family member who I know needs to hear this. I remember sitting across from a family member one time who doesn't believe in God, and we had had this super dramatic, miraculous miracle in our life. I mean, it was a deliverance and a radical salvation, and he knew this person because they were cousins, and he knew, that, he knew me, so he knew I wasn't going to make something up, and I was so excited to tell him, and I told him the story, and I mean, every, every believer that I've told the story, it's, you know, they just can feel the Holy Spirit all over it. And I'm telling him this story. And I'm sitting across from him at a breakfast table, and I'll never forget this. He, he says to me, well, there's a perfectly logical explanation for that. And I thought, 
And what would that be? And I don't have time to tell you the story, but there was no logical earthly explanation. But he doesn't understand spiritual realities. His spiritual eyes and his spiritual ears hadn't been open. And so when he hears a God story, he's got to come up with a logical understanding for it because he doesn't understand spiritual realities. Until we're born again, we don't, under, we don't know how to communicate with God and we aren't open to spiritual realities. So we have our body, our outermost man. We have our spirit, our inner man, where we communicate with God. And then we need to talk about the soul. And this is where it gets a little bit, a little bit messy. So our soul has three main functions. And I want you to think of each one of these functions as an instrument on a car. So first of all, we have a mind. This is our instrument for thinking. God has created us with the ability to reason and acquire knowledge. Our minds are kind of like a computer. Our cars today have computer systems. But it's incredible what our minds can do. If I were to ask you right now, who's your first grade teacher? How many of you remember who your first grade teacher was? Now, you were thinking about that 30 seconds ago. But we can just pull it up inside of our brain. I mean, we remember things. We can... We can make strategies, we can reason, we can argue. Our minds are incredible. They're like a computer inside of our brain. Proverbs 2.10 says, wisdom will enter your heart and your knowledge, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So our mind is part of the soul. Another function of our soul is, number two, we have emotions. This is our instrument for feeling. So God created us in his image, and he gave us the full range of emotions, just like he has. We see his emotions all throughout scripture, but definitely in the Old Testament. He's got love, he's got compassion, he's super jealous, which is a reflection of his love. He gets angry. And then Jesus comes on the scene, same thing. We see the full range of emotions, flipping over tables. We see him move with love, moved with compassion, and we're made in God's image. So we have the full range of emotions too. This I would compare to the dashboard on your car. You have the lights that go off, check your fuel, check engine light, tire pressure is low. And what you're, those dashboard lights are telling you is that something is going on underneath the hood, right? So you don't want to take a piece of duct tape and put it over the blinking lights. You want to take a look underneath the hood or you're going to have a breakdown. And that's very much what emotions are like. So we get anger. It's flashing at us. And what it's telling us is that there's a problem that needs to be solved, Someone's crossed a boundary or someone said something hurtful. I need to have a difficult conversation. But it's a, it's a flashing light. It's telling me that something is going on inside of my soul. Same with sadness. We got sadness blinking. It's telling me I need to grieve something. I need to talk about it. I need to process it. I can't just stuff it. I can't just put a piece of tape over the bash, dashboard. All of our emotions are that way. When a check engine light comes on, you're headed for a breakdown. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're feeling stressed. You're headed for a breakdown. And so sometimes I think emotions get a bad rap in Christian circles. You know, they just say, don't be led by your emotions. We don't want to be led by them, but God put them in there for a purpose, and they're telling us something. They're giving us an opportunity to connect with God and to connect with people. And so they're given to us by God. So we have a mind, we have emotions, and then the third thing in our soul is we have a will. This is our instrument for making decisions. God created us with the power of free choice. Now, this one I would compare to a steering wheel on a car. God creates us. 
He gives us this incredible body, this incredible mind, this dashboard of emotions, a personality, and he puts our hands on the steering wheel, and he says, you get to drive your life. You get to decide if you want to get married, who you want to marry, where you want to go to college, if you want to go to college. Your hands are on the steering wheel of your life, and most importantly, you decide if you want to accept Christ as Savior because he's given us the power of free choice. Now, if we think of body, soul, spirit, our spirit gives us an opportunity to communicate with God, but our will, because our hands are on the steering wheel, that also gives us the opportunity to turn from God. And it's all put in our hands, in our will. So the soul, mind, will, and emotions. In our soul, what we do is we gather up these two sides of God's creation, the natural world, the supernatural world, and we become a living soul or a living personality. Now, here's God's desire versus Satan's desire for how these parts of us work together. God's desire is always to work from the inside out. Why? Because that's where the spirit is. Out of our belly flow rivers of living water. There's a power and a force inside of us that is full of life, but it's deep in the core of who we are when we become a born-again Christian. So God's desire is for the Holy Spirit to govern the soul. God becomes Lord of our mind. We get the mind of Christ. Our mind gets renewed because the Spirit of God, we allow the the Spirit to work out. The Holy Spirit becomes Lord of our emotions. He heals those parts of us that we are wounded in our emotions. But he has to use our will, which is also in our soul, to do it. We have to give him lordship over our thought life, lordship over those wounded parts of us. And his desire then is to move from, he's already on the inside, but to use our soul and to use our body to express his life and purpose to the world around us. But he needs our cooperation. I love the testimony that Amy gave just a minute ago about sharing with the cashier and praying for the cashier. Well, where did that start? Holy Spirit on the inside of her. But he needed the rest of her to cooperate with her so that it could come out of her mouth. Now, what if she's having a really bad day and she's stuck in herself and she's doubting herself and she's doubting her faith and she's got some anxiety in her emotions? Then she may not be aware of the people around her. But people that live in freedom, the Holy Spirit has full reign to just burst out of their mouth, to use their hands and to use their feet to extend the gospel. God works from the inside out. Now, Satan, of course, he works the opposite way. His desire is for our body and our soul to govern our spirit. First of all, he never wants us to be born again. And so he's using the lusts of the flesh. We were, Steve and I were talking about this in the lobby. Sometimes our body gets a bad rap. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so it's a holy thing. But our body can also, it's tempted by the lusts of the flesh. Scripture tells us to crucify our flesh. And so what the enemy wants to do is he wants to use the lusts of the flesh and the desires of the flesh that also are part of our body. He wants to use that. He wants to harden our heart, make us bitter, make us unforgiving, not deal with our anger problem, or get us so intellectually smart and proud that we won't accept the gospel. It's called a hard heart. So his desire is that we're never born again, but then once we are, he immediately moves to the realm of the soul. And the battleground becomes in our mind and in our emotions, and there's a fight for the steering wheel of our life. Have you guys felt that battle? In the thought life, in our emotions, 
who's Lord of our life. Now, if we go back to week one, the will part is always about what voice are we agreeing with? Are we agreeing with the spirit that's on the inside? Are we agreeing with a wounded part of our soul? Or are we agreeing with the evil one? Right? So the battle takes place inside of the soul. That is the frame that we're starting with. All right? Body, soul, spirit. Now, let's go back to Genesis and let's take a look at what happened in the garden. In your notes, there are three spots there where it talks about God's role and our role. So it's really important that we understand God's part and our part in what's happening in Genesis. So the first one is God's role is to be the source. And our role is to depend on the source. This is actually the first lesson and the first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the source of everything. Everything was his idea. The Bible tells us he's the source of all the resources. All the stuff that we see around us is made from his creation. And then the second one is he's the source of human life. In Genesis 2.7, I want you to notice that when God is creating human life, notice body, soul, spirit here. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, Adam's one part natural, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word breath there actually means spirit. So he's one part supernatural. And man became a living being. He became a living soul, body, soul, spirit, right there in creation. So God's the source of the resources. He's the source of human life. And then in Genesis 2.18, we see that he is the source of relationships. Relationships are his idea. He lives in community with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. And he looked down at Adam and he said, this is not good. I need to create someone for him. And so the Lord God said, it's not good for him to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God's idea. God's the source of their purpose or their mission in Genesis 1, 27 through 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, now listen to this, this is their mission. God's the source of it. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What God is saying to Adam is essentially, earth is a replica of what's happening in heaven. And in heaven, I'm the king of my kingdom. On earth, I want you to be the king of that kingdom. And here's how it's going to work. We're going to stay connected to one another. And as we stay connected to one another, I'm going to mentor you and I'm going to show you how to do what's being done in heaven. And then that way, earth is going to become a reflection of what's happening in heaven. And so they walk together. And they talked together. And Adam was duplicating what was happening in heaven. First one is to be the source. Our role is to depend on the source. Here's the second one. God makes the rules, and man obeys the rules. Genesis 2, 8 through 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll pause here for a second. Adam and Eve had a way of seeing that you and I don't understand. Ever been to one of those 3D movies where you put the glasses on? You're like, whoa, there's stuff, stuff coming at me, colors I've never seen before. 
it's kind of like that for them. They had this way of seeing that we don't have a grid for. We're, we're kind of seeing more 1D. You know, they had a way of seeing that we can't even begin to comprehend because the natural world and the spiritual world were one for them. And so they could see a tree that had life hanging off of it. They could see a tree that had the knowledge of good and evil hanging off of it. I don't have a grid for that. I don't know about you guys. Walking and talking with God. I, I can't imagine doing that face to face. There was a serpent that was talking. I don't understand that. But I also don't understand what it's like to live in a world where the natural and the supernatural are one. But that was their reality and not my reality. Scripture tells us now that there's a veil that's there because of the fall. So they had a way of seeing that we don't understand. So if we skip down to verse 15, the Bible says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And then he gives him the rule. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. There's one rule. God made it, and man's rule, our man's role is to obey it. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The third one, God's role is to be the judge, and man's role is to experience life. So we'll pause here again for just a second. Think about their existence up until this point. They've got a perfect place to live. We use that phrase like, oh, they were just made for one another. But they really were. Like, they're literally made for one another. He has the perfect spouse. They have a job that absolutely fits their DNA because it was given to them for God. All kinds of things to do for fun, all kinds of stuff to enjoy. They literally have the perfect existence. Now, if we look at the roles again, we can put those up on the screen real quick. I don't know if you have it, but you have it in your handout. But if we look at those roles again, isn't that the exact experience that you want for your children? First of all, you want to be the source. You, just, you want to provide for them. You don't want them to worry about where their next meal is coming from, if they're going to have a roof over the head. You want to be the source, and you want them to depend on you. You want to make the rules because you're wiser and have greater understanding. You just want them to obey and to trust you. And then the last one, you just want them to experience life. Just be a kid. Just enjoy life. And so this is what God has set up for Adam and Eve. And it worked for about two chapters. And so we don't know if that's 30 minutes or if it's 300 years, but it worked for about, for about two chapters. And then it all falls apart in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Of course, we know that that is a lie. But I want you to notice here what's happening. We talked about the freedom prescription, hear, believe, confess, obey. Now here's the enemy. He's inserting this alternative voice. He's starting to offer a different option. But her hands are on the steering wheel because God has created her with the power of free choice. So the Bible goes on to say, the woman said to the serpent, we, must eat, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, she's, she's still doing pretty good. She's still in, in agreement with God's voice. Now, Satan shifts to an outright lie. 
You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's bringing her to a point of decision. He's, make, he's making her wonder, well, is God holding out on me? She's still got her hands on the wheel. She knows the clear command of God. She knows what she's experienced with God, what his character has been like, how he's provided for her. But she's got an alternative voice, saying, basically saying God's holding out on you. But her hands are on the steering wheel. Now, I want you to notice in the next verse how the temptation is targeted from the outside in. It's targeted at body and soul. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, that's body, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that's targeted at the soul. Now there's kind of a pregnant pause here because we know the rest of the verse just changes all of humanity forever. It changes your destiny. It changes my destiny. And, And what's incredible about this pause here to see how she responds is it really comes down to what voice is she agreeing with. Her decision is made inside of her heart. Her decision is made with, am I going to agree with the Spirit of God, or am I going to go after something that's desirable to my body and soul? It's all about what voice is she agreeing with. And of course, we know that she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Now, in that moment, instantly everything changed. And it's so easy for us to listen to that and think, well, they broke a rule, and now they need to be punished. And even though they did break a rule, and God is going to give them consequences and punish them, that's actually the least of their problems. Because what happened in that moment was that they disconnected from their source. I want to use the trees here for just a moment. I've got this extension cord here, this power strip here. This is how they were doing life up until this point. Fully connected to their source. Walking with God, talking with God. Now, if you imagine that there are, there are uh, extension cords coming out of here, and those represent every major area of life, the relationships, the, the jobs that God gave them to do, the naming and taming of the animal, the ruling and reigning, their relationship with one another, their relationship with God. Everything that was part of their life had power coming out of it. It had life coming out of it. There were the fruits of the Spirit, peace and joy and love, because they were connected to the source. Now, what happened when they went over to the tree of knowledge and good and evil and ate from it, so what they essentially did was plug into themselves. And so remember what God said? He said, if you eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, you'll surely die. What he didn't say was, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I will kill you. I will be so mad at you, I will murder you. But sometimes we hear it that way. But what he said was, you'll surely die. Why? Because you just unplugged from your source, and you plugged into yourself, and you don't have any power. Every day, we unplug our iPhones. And we know if we don't plug it in, it eventually is it's going to die. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. As soon as they unplugged from their source and agreed with the wrong voice, the clock began ticking and they were going to die. And so God had to go into search and rescue mode. So now, more than being living souls like they were, now they're living by the soul. Every decision that they're making, they're using their power of free choice to make decisions based on what they think 
and based on what they feel. If we go back over here to the tree of knowledge, I want you to imagine, imagine there's a good branch that goes out this way, and then imagine that there's an evil branch that goes out this way. This is how every major world religion operates. The idea is that if I do more good deeds, I'm moving further out on the good branch. And if I serve people, and if I give away some money, and I don't do these things, and I do these good things, that somehow I can tip the scale, and God will allow me to go into nirvana or paradise, or I'll reincarnate into something better in the next world. But the source of it all is me, because I'm plugged into myself. Now, here's what's really sad, and you got to get this. This is how a lot of Christians do Christianity. We just, we're going to follow the rules. We're going to do the good stuff. We're, gonna, we're not going to do bad things. We're going to go to church. So we're doing and we're not doing and we're following all the rules. And then we look at people who are over on the evil branch, on the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we say, you know what? You should not be doing those bad things. You need to be following the rules too. And so we get them to move over to the good branch. We actually call that evangelism when we're really not connecting them to the source of life, the power that's behind it. Oh, we're just making them rule followers. Jesus didn't come so that we can behave better or follow rules. Jesus came to give us life. This is the problem that Jesus came to solve. He came to fix our spiritual death problem. We can hear it in his words. If you pay close attention in the Gospels, the most famous scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the only world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, come to me, he said, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doing life like this is absolutely exhausting. It's exhausting. I've been there, I've done that. Striving, trying to please God, trying to please people, trying to perform. But this yoke is easy and this burden is light. Well, how do we do this? It's so simple that we miss it. It's spending time with God. It's getting to know him through his word, not looking at the word as a list of rules to follow, but as a person to know and to understand and to have a relationship, spending time with him in prayer. I love the song that we sang today about Monday morning faith, singing to God in our own quiet place, getting to know him through his word because he speaks to us spirit to spirit. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through those whispers and the knowing and the pictures that he gives us in the quiet place of prayer. And when we live life that way, everything that we do has power coming out of it. There's life in our relationships. There's power in our relationships. And the things that God has called us to do, there's fruit, there's life and purpose. There's the gifts of the Spirit. There's the fruits of the Spirit. And if we're honest, we know. We know if we're doing life this way or if we're doing life that way. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes.
We like to end with reset moments, these opportunities for you to communicate with God. And this one's a pretty simple one. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, God didn't leave Adam and Eve hiding behind that tree, full of shame, their dashboard going off, afraid. God didn't leave them there. But he went on a search and rescue mission. And he had one question for them. His question was, where are you? And he wasn't asking because he didn't know their physical location. He was asking for their sake because he wanted them to come out of hiding. And the question, where are you? It was about their spiritual condition. It was a personal question. Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? Because he wanted to fix their shame problem. He killed something. He made skin. He covered them. He was foreshadowing what Jesus would eventually do. But he couldn't help reconnect them until they came out from their hiding. And so for our reset moment today, I just want you to spend some time answering that question to God. I want you to make it personal. Insert your name and hear him saying, where are you? Which tree are you in? Which branch are you on? And somewhere along the way, you just kind of unplug and you're doing life and Christianity on your own strength. Just have a conversation with God this morning and recommit yourself to connecting to your source. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.